As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. I'm Tim Wyatt. But in a departure from usual, I'm not being joined this week by my dad, Professor John Wyatt. As you will all have gathered, the death of the Queen last week has thrown many people's plans into the air, and this podcast is no exception. Rather than continuing with the second part of our conversation on evolution and creationism, we decided to interrupt the schedule with a special one-off discussion about the faith of the Queen and her place as a Christian in public life with Mark Green from the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Normal service will be resumed next week as John returns for part two on evolution. But for now, we hope you enjoy some reflections on the Queen's life of servant ministry and the impact her deeply held Christian faith had on both her and the nation she served. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Mark. Uh, it's great to have you on on the show. Could you just start by introducing yourself and say a little bit about who you are and, and what you do for those of our listeners who might not come across you before? Yeah, my name is Mark Green. I'm the mission champion at the London Institute uh, for Contemporary Christianity. I um, became a Christian when I was 23 years old from a Jewish background. I went into advertising uh, in London and New York uh, for 10 years, so you can trust every word you hear from me. <laughs> and uh, then uh, I had a a yearning to go to theological college just to study the word of God and off I went and they wouldn't let me out so I spent nine years on the staff there and after that I was uh, winkled out to join the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity where uh, Professor John Wyatt um, was actually on the board and uh, he had been recruited to the board uh, to represent youth Um, (laughs) uh, and and he'd actually been on the board for 20 years so he clearly had uh, the secret of eternal youth himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really great to have you. Uh, um, a few years ago, you you helped pull together a, a book, The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. Um, could you say a little bit more about how that came about and and what what the kind of the book was hoping to address? Uh, yeah, yes, and um, I, I should say that I wasn't a, a queen. I haven't grown up as a queen fan all my life. I don't have lots and lots of bits. And- pieces in my home about the Queen or anything like that. But around 2015, um, I had uh, written a book called Fruitfulness on the Front Line, which was helping Christians to see how they can be fruitful for Jesus in everyday life. Uh, 
in all kinds of ways, not simply by volunteering for the church or having an evangelistic conversation, great things to do, or doing direct social action, but just through the ordinary things we do. How do we model godly character? How do we make good work? How do we minister grace and love in everyday life? How do we mold the culture around that? As How do we be a, a mouthpiece for truth and justice? And how, do, how can we be a messenger of the gospel? And um, I, I was found myself praying. I was saying to God, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was somebody in the public eye who, who kind of lived this out? And whoosh! The answer came immediately. It was the Queen, and it came with with a kind of weight. And I thought about it. Goodness, God's right. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about it. Yes, and because it came with weight, I felt it, it. You know, I felt I was meant to get this message out. People need to know this. She's actually an extraordinary disciple of Jesus. And uh, I thought, well, I I don't have right time to write a big book. And then by an extraordinary series of circumstances. Um, I met with Roy Crown from Hope and I gave him the idea and then six weeks later he came back to me and said, you know, the Archbishop thinks it's a good idea and Bible Society want to get involved and we had a meeting and I hadn't necessarily thought I would write it, I'd just given it away but I sort of wanted to and then there was a, a, a woman called Catherine Butcher who worked for Hope who, who knew every single photograph ever taken of the Queen anywhere. <laughs> incredibly knowledgeable and so we got together and we produced the king and the king she serves and its goal really was to uh on the occasion if, if you like of the queen's 90th birthday when there would be lots of people celebrating to highlight to people the richness and the depth of the queen's faith in a way that would be utterly um hopefully winsome to people of other faiths and of no faith some the kind of book quality book as it happens in terms of production that you could just give to anybody and mm. indeed loads of people got behind that and we priced it because the queen agreed to do the forward it, she she'd never done a forward before as far as we know for any other book so this was a unique event mm. uh, but but so that the proceeds would go to charity which was our goal anyway and in the end people did get behind it and over a million copies uh, were were sold of that of that resource which is a great deal more than I've sold of any of my other books, which if your listeners would like to know about, I can give them a list and the links. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'd include some links in the, in the podcast description. Um, you, you also, um, you wrote an essay, which I found really fascinating um, for the Platinum Jubilee earlier this year about mm. much of the kind of Queen's servant leadership and, and her kind of Christian vision for what she does as a monarch. Could you explain a bit more, how does she root her understanding of the role of sovereign in her own kind of Christian faith, and in particular the example of Jesus? Well, I think uh, what, what I did, to just uh, for your listeners to know, is what I did was I looked at all, all the Christmas speeches to see, um, first of all, what kind of languages she used and what kind of um, themes recur and how how that helps us understand when you put them all together you, you get this picture because of course they're all very short but the significance of the christmas addresses is that she writes them herself uh, somebody you know we all have somebody coming and say I, I would change that sentence and i wouldn't definitely wouldn't say that but basically she writes them herself whereas most of her other speeches of course um they have speech writers so one of her self-understandings is that servant and that's very strong that comes out from her 
address when she was 21 uh, to the nation and the Commonwealth. And it comes out, you know, in a platinum jubilee letter where she talks about her desire to continue to service and she signs herself off as with with your servant elizabeth r and for her it's very clear from the speeches again and again that this comes out of her understanding of who jesus is she seeks to imitate him she says in one very specifically he came to serve and not be served uh, he restored uh, service to the center of our lives and I think, I think that's the point for her. It's not a peripheral thing. Service is not, oh, well, I've done all these other things now and uh, I've watched a bit of Netflix and I've been to the gym. Oh, no, I might do a bit of serving now. It's not that. It's, it's central for her. Um, and that does come out again and again. And that then begins to shape, I think, her understanding of the kind of country she is summoning us to seek to create. So in 1956, um, again, she says, well, I, I, you know, I can't lead you into battle and I don't make laws, but I can, I, I can give you my heart, I, my devotion to these old islands. And then she basically says this, um, her yearning is that uh, the United Kingdom would be an encouragement to upright people everywhere. So it's a vision for a nation that is not, um, you know, we're going to carry on empire. This is this is this daughter of a man who ruled a quarter of the earth. She's not thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great if we got that back? It's it's not a vision for being an economic superpower. It's not a vision for saying we're going to have the best tech in the world. Our rock music is going to be better than anybody else's, um, which of course it is. Um, but rather that we would be a moral example. Now that's extraordinary, and actually. Biblically, it's it's not dissimilar to God's call on the people of Israel that they would be a light to the Gentiles, and so I think her yearning for Britain is that people would look at us and go, "They are an example of goodness and and uprightness." Is a slightly up, you know, um, old-fashioned word now, you know, upright, um, more more commonly applied to pianos than people, but um, it's a very common word in the King James Bible which is the Bible, the version of the Bible the Queen reads. And of mm. course, there it, it does mean integrity. It means being straight. It means being honest. Um, it means uh, exhibiting righteousness and justice. Mm. And when you were writing this and reflecting on this, did you consider the success or otherwise of, of this kind of aspiration that she had right at the beginning of her reign? Do you think Britain has, under her uh, sovereignty and her leadership, achieved any of that kind of goal of being this kind of light to the nations? Um, I'd have to say that, you know, I think if you look, if you, you look at Britain today, I, I don't think we are a kinder country than, than we were 10, 10 years ago. I don't, that would, I mean, you know, we all live in our bubbles and, um, and I live in mine, but I, I, I don't, I don't see that we're kinder. Uh, I don't think that, um, particularly in the last two years, people have looked to Britain and thought there is an upright nation uh, full of honest people led by great people. I think, I think the world clearly uh, has an enormous respect for the Queen as an example. And um, people have, have, have written and said that one of the great blessings in a sense we've had, one of the great advantages we've had, is that uh, whatever the character of our politicians of whichever party, 
we do have somebody to look to who has a high level of integrity and honesty um, and respect um, globally. And I mm. think that has served us very well at many, many key moments in in our history, including, I think, during the pandemic and including, um, you know, in, in the politics of the last two years. But very significantly, I, uh, one can look back, for example, at 1965, when the Queen goes to West Berlin. Now, this is not long after the Second World War. And when the Queen goes to West Berlin, it's like, okay, that's over. <laughs> Now, yeah. now we move forward. And um, I mean, um, even someone so youthful as, as you, Tim, and never mind your nonagenarian <laughs> father, <laughs> can remember, perhaps can recall when the Queen went to Dublin in 2011. Yeah. And, you know, she begins, I can't, I can't say this in Irish Gaelic, but she begins her speech um, to the president and the assembled people with president and friends in Irish Gaelic. And Mary McAleese, you know, she is this, this gasp in, in the room and Mary McAleese goes, wow. And the whole room applauds. And, you know, the, it was the talk of the city. Mm. And, and afterwards, even in her reflections uh, just recently, Mary McAleese reflecting on the Queen, saying essentially, um, you know, that the Queen's, uh, uh, you know, the people of Ireland will will fondly remember the historic visit in 2011 when her presence and her words did so much to cement a culture of reconciliation and partnership between these islands. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of impact that she can have and has had. And I think you can see that in, in the Commonwealth too, where she is much beloved. But also, and, and I can't obviously speak authoritatively about this, those, um, but I think that there is a kind of um, benefit within multicultural Britain of the very good relationships she has with the countries from which many of our citizens or their parents or their grandparents have come. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, she, she knows she's, she's been there and she's been a lauded there she's our queen too and yeah. it, i think that reinforces it even perhaps if you're third generation i mean there's some people suggesting that the kind of widespread admiration for her personally has acted as a bulwark against a lot of the commonwealth nations from kind of pursuing republicanism and um and there is you know speculation now she's died whether some of those countries like australia or new zealand and maybe some of the caribbean nations might might decide it is it is it is now time to kind of write the time is ripe to to pursue so it's kind of abolishing her as head of state but they just it was un it was inconceivable because of her as an individual they might have disagreed with the institution of monarchy but there was such broad respect for her as a unifying non-tribalistic non-partisan figure kind of holding this unusual commonwealth of nations together yes i mean that may well happen but i i suspect that she might nevertheless have achieved her core aim and i think her core aim and she she was quite specific about this at one point where she said that she had she felt that she succeeded from in turning um the crown from a symbol of imperial dominion into uh, a symbol of uh, a free voluntary association mm. uh, and and that has happened you know the queen famously won 
one Oxford college uh, took the portrait of the queen down from their middle common room because they saw her as a symbol of the empire, um, of imperialism. But curiously, what she has done personally is to reverse that within the relationships that she's had through the Commonwealth. It is absolutely extraordinary that through her, her relational ability um, and warmth, 54 nations, most of which we exploited for decades, choose to come together as friends and to see her in that way and to see themselves within that cooperation as equal, independent of size, independent of economic uh, prowess. I mean, it is, as you said earlier, I don't know what was behind your word extraordinary uh, about the Commonwealth, but it is extraordinary, as she said, that it is unprecedented in all of history. And I think it comes out of, if you like, a biblical vision, in a sense. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, one day, one day all the nations will indeed be together before, before, before mm. the Lord. And that it is, a, I think, a, a sort of foretaste of it. It is totally countercultural. to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. You, you drew quite heavily, as you mentioned, on, on her Christmas speeches, which a lot of us are familiar with watching on, on Christmas Day afternoon, um, as kind of the main, if not possibly the only insight we have into her own kind of personal faith, as, as you say, they're the only real speeches that she, that she writes herself. Uh, many people have have told me and said that they're convinced that in in recent years, in the last few decades, she's become much more forthright uh, and even evangelistic about her faith in these Christmas speeches. I, I wonder, did, do you think that's true? And if so, do you think it's intentional? I think um, they are. They are in a sense more evangelistic. And whether they reflect, you know, a, a deeper faith in her, or if, if you like, a, a, a growth in her own faith, I think it's hard to say. So I, I couldn't comment on that. What I do think is, of course, you've got diff shift in culture from the 60s, 70s and 80s in um, how people might talk about religion in public, particularly people of, if you like, of her generation who might not feel like they wanted to, you know, put it out there in, in such a forthright way. But what is clear is that from about 1999, she starts to use the words Jesus and Christ almost every year. And before that, she doesn't. It's, it's very clear that she's a, speaking as a Christian, but talking more directly about Jesus uh, becomes um, salient. I think it's, it's the case that um, it's perhaps partly triggered by you know, the millennium, when, you know, if you're ever going to talk about Jesus really, 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 really clearly, the 2000th anniversary of his of his birth is the moment. Um, and I think she was encouraged in that by George Carey. Uh, and then she got such a lot of, uh, we're told, such a lot of positive um, um, correspondence as a result of being clearer that I think she was encouraged to carry on uh, doing that. And I, I guess there's also something... Um, course i'm too young to know this yet but there's something about when you get older you think huh i can't be bothered i'm, I'm just going to say what i think what have you got to lose at this point yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, how effective a public witness do you think those kind of queen speeches can be i mean obviously they have an enormous audience and she's treading this fine line between 
speaking in a kind of civic sense to the whole community of people, most of whom aren't believers. And yet also this is a Christian festival. She's a Christian, as you say, she wants to talk about the God and the Jesus that she knows. How effective do you think she was at, at, at communicating kind of gospel truths in an appropriate way? I thought she, she um, I think particularly, personally, particularly um, in, the, in the years of the Troubles when she talked a lot about reconciliation, um, I thought that was extremely well done. And I think indeed from 1999 on, they are very, very effective. And I think part of it is that she, she is testimonial rather than, if you like, seeking to be persuasive. She speaks, she, she understands, I suppose, or instinctively felt that was the right way to go. This is who I think Jesus is. This is how he helps me. He is my guide. He is my inner light. He is my bedrock. It's with the framework of his teaching that I seek to live my life. He is my anchor. You know, there's, it's testimonial. And it's clearly um, personalized. Her language is personalized. Um, and, and so I think, you know, if you, it'd be hard to come away from that and think, oh, the queen is just a, a nominal Christian and she's, you know, hard to come away from that. And it's clear that um, Christians are very encouraged by what she has to say and by the way she has to say it. Um, you know, very rarely have I heard somebody say, why didn't she ask, why didn't she tell people they were all sinners and get them to <laughs> bow down right then and repent, uh, you know, over the airwaves. People don't say that. And similarly, the, the other faith communities, um, the Sikh community, the Jewish community, the Muslim community, the Hindu community seem also um, to have tremendous respect for her. And, and partly because I think they see in her a genuine faith. <laughs> and that's what they've got, a genuine faith. And so they don't see her as somebody who is, who is aggressively trying to proselytize them. They see somebody who is, was sincerely expressing her own views. And in a sense, um, making it easier for them to do the same thing, which I think is what she understood one of her roles roles to be. Mm. I think what I've seen in the last three years is a shift, uh, and, and again, I can't prove this quantitatively, but is a shift in uh, very slowly how the general press um, and broadcast um, media have spoken about the Queen's faith. I think it's got through that it's deep. Mm. And um, in some ways, she's, she's probably the most famous or most admired Christian in British public life, um, which is, as you say, quite an achievement for an in increasingly kind of secular, multi-faith society. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. She, she is. That's probably the case. Even even more so than the Archbishop of Canterbury, you mm. know. Uh, I guess once something you sometimes hear criticism is that as a constitutional monarch of, as we say, an increasingly secular, multi faith society, it 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 might jar to have to have her be so kind of loud and proud about her own faith. Do you think that's somewhat neutralized by the fact that, as you say, she wasn't proselytizing, but it was was sharing testimonial, testing, sharing stories in a way that didn't kind of start to muddy the waters around her kind of neutrality as a public figure, as a head of state. Yes, I think that's right. And of course, the fact that she doesn't make laws 
helps and that she doesn't lead armies helps. You know, there's 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 no suspicion that you know she is seeking to uh, overtly shape public policy based on what she believes. And of course, she's been criticised by some people for um, allowing some legislation to come into law, hmm. even though in a sense she doesn't really have a choice apart from abdicating. She doesn't have a choice. Hmm. Um, so there's, you know, well, you'll be familiar with this, but so, um, you know, there is a sense in which um, she has uh, humbly bowed before, you know, the process in which she is involved, whatever she may privately think, positively mm. or negatively. There was a fascinating episode, I don't know if you're aware of it, in Belgium uh, several decades ago where they had brought in a new abortion law or some kind of uh, extension of abortion and, and the king, who was a Catholic, was very personally opposed to that and and felt very conflicted about whether he could, you know, he's a similarly constitutional one who has no real power and just kind of signs the laws. And he actually ended up doing a kind of temporary abdication, I think, for a few hours so that he wouldn't have to personally stamp his seal of approval on a law which he had moral objections to. But I guess the Queen sees her role simply as a kind of rubber stamp to the to the democratic choices of, of, of her government, however much she might disagree with them. Yes, and uh, and, you know, she would have been aware of that, wouldn't she? herself and uh, that was in the case of the king of belgium uh, a brilliant and and clever thing to do even though at one level it made no difference it, it if you like certainly communicated to his nation where he stood and mm. um allowed allowed him in a sense to continue and obviously he was quite popular <laughs> yeah fascinating <laughs> because they, yeah. because because they wanted to make it happen Oh, you yeah. want to abdicate? Okay, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to uh, ask as well. Um, I don't know whether you have any particular insight in this or any of your thoughts on it, but but to what extent do you think Charles, our new king, will take on her place? Not just obviously as the monarch, but as this kind of Christian public figure that we've been talking about, as this 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 public witness for Christ. Do you have any expectations or, or thoughts about how he might interpret that side of the role? Well, what I, I do know, having talked to some, not lots of people, but some people who know him well, who are also, of, if you like, Christian faith, um, they, they're they clear that he is a man of faith. He is unlikely to be a Pentecostal, um, <laughs> but, but then Norway's his mama. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, they've said to me his, his faith is clearly genuine and the, the, the comment made um, about defender of the faiths um, that caused quite a lot of controversy a, a few years back is actually a comment, a similar comment that the Queen herself has made, you know, seeing her role as defending the freedom of all effects to worship freely within the nation. And I think that is how he intended it, even though it was clumsily uh, put at that particular time. Um, and he made it very clear in his own address to, to the nation um, that he had a deep faith um, and that that was significant to him. And so I expect him to um, to fulfil that. I mean, whether he, quite how he's going to uh, do his Christmas addresses, we shall see. But of course, Charles has had, um, um, how can I put this? He's historically been on the leading edge of a lot of things. Um, you know, clearly he's he's seen partly through the, the series of very unfortunate events around Lady Diana and their divorce and so on. Um, but um, in terms of climate change, he was, the, he was there. 
a long time ahead of most people, a long time before it was fashionable. Uh, and he took flack for it. You know, he, he took flack for it. And similarly with um, some of the dehumanizing architecture that was being produced in Britain, he, 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 he had a go at that and he took flack for it. And certainly as it relates to what you might call domestic architecture, I think most people would agree that let's, those high rises were very bad for people. And, and he was right about that. He, he took the leading edge on organic farming and he was right about that. Um, you know, in the sense that now that's, that's an okay thing to do. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's, it's possible for all farming everywhere, but it, it clearly um, um, was, was innovative and leading edge, thoughtful. So I think one of the things about Charles is that he, he has his own ideas. And I think he will he will bring he will bring that to bear um, with with the um, self restraints that uh, is char characterizes the monarchy. Well, I wanted just to end on that because I think he's clearly, or in his life as Prince of Wales, been much more outspoken than than others in the in royals or at least maybe the convention would be and on on his passions like you mentioned about architecture whether it's the environment um you know he's famous for sending these very uh difficult to read handwritten letters to government ministers <laughs> sharing his views on various policies and things like yeah. that um a very different approach to the kind of uh, as you said the kind of testimonial gentle uh storytelling from from the queen do you think he's going to have to clam up now that he is on the throne he's not going to be able to be outspoken on his yeah. passions or his, even his personal spirituality which is you know complex and nuanced and, and multifarious now he's on the throne he's going to have to slip into those kind of rigid tram lines that the queen lived in which is just you know smile cut ribbons uh, and other than that once a year christmas speech basically don't say anything at all Yes, although I think he would have learned from from his his mummy, as he calls her, that um, there's influence you can have. There are places you can go. There are, there are questions you can ask. And I suspect the Queen was a brilliant, you know, asker of good questions. She never told the Prime Ministers what to do. But like excellent life coaches, you know, mentors give you answers to your questions and life coaches uh, have questions for your answers. Mm -hmm. And I suspect the Queen was rather good at asking wise questions. And um, I, I would hope that Charles would do that. I, I certainly don't expect him, and he didn't when he read the Queen's speech, go, you know, start making commentary or raising his eyebrows or smiling. Whoa, thank goodness you've done that at last. Oh, you cannot be serious. I think he will. I think he will go down the tram lines. But I think what we've learned from the Queen is that you can have an impact. You can make a difference. You can carry on summoning people to the things that you believe in. And sentence by sentence, affirmation of people with particular values uh, applied, like when she affirms Emma Raducanu, what does she talk about? Her hard work, what does she suggest to her? You are going to be an inspiration. She calls her to rem remind her that she's going to be a model for other people. You know, diligence, excellence, hard work service of others in what you do it was right there in what she said to emma raducano it was there in how she praised the lionesses that there's ways in which you can fly the flag for the things that you believe in without shoving it down anybody's throats mm -hmm. but yeah he will be limited 
And just finally, then, uh, do you think us as as Britons should be kind of thanking God for the, that we have a head of state, or we had a head of state such as the Queen, who was, you know, authentically following Jesus and 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 understood her role as service? Is that a particular a particular blessing that we've enjoyed here in the United Kingdom for for seventy years? I think um, it's it's an amazing. I mean, it's an amazing grace. It's it's an extraordinary privilege. To have had somebody uh, like that, and of course, at one level, uh, you know, any Christian, any whole life disciple, living out their life in whatever profession, in in politics, or as a mum, or as a cleaner, as a mechanic, or whatever, that is something to praise God for in any context. But to have been given somebody that the world could look at, and we could say, here is a woman of integrity, here is a woman who loves Jesus, and for us to 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 be able to say, look at that, and for for um, uh, children or grandchildren go up and say, look, look at this person. Here is someone you can see. I think that is an amazing, amazing gift. And apart from anything else, one, um, one wonders how her prayers as sovereign, as called service, have mitigated and um, restrained um, the consequences of our overall decline. Hmm. There's something to ponder for sure. Thanks so well. Thanks so much for your time, Mark. It's been really fascinating hearing your insights on on this topic. And um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of us share share admiration and, and sorrow, admiration for the Queen and, and sorrow at her at her death. Um, and we and we look forward to see what what kind of a journey we will chart with with King Charles III. Um, but thanks very much for your time. It's really great to speak to you. Good to speak to you. Shalom, shalom. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.